0: Imagine for a moment that you've been alive for over 80 years and never been part of a family. You have no parents, real or adopted, no brothers or sisters, no cousins, nobody. You have only your name and no amount of research helps. All those Christmases, holidays, vacations, family trips, graduations, and milestones never experienced. Your life has always been a question with no answers. And then... One magical day, thanks to a simple DNA match, you find you have a cousin, and that cousin has the key to all the answers you've been seeking. Modern science, specifically genealogy, is giving us answers to questions about our past and helping to provide links to ancestry that wouldn't have been considered possible just a few years ago. Welcome to another episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries, this one titled, It's in the Genes. An 80-Year-Old Mystery Solved, is from our mystery series and tells the story of Patrick P.J. Holland, who, through a very fortunate quirk of fate, helped by modern science, finally found his family. We'll get to PJ story in a minute, but first, some basics to bring you up to speed on genetics and DNA. We like to think of ourselves as architects of our own will. We act in a fashion that suits our personality, which we pretty much create to best survive in our cultural surroundings. But our habits and traits, like our willingness to take risks, or not, our passion for buying new things, or hanging on to the old things we have, our fear of spiders and mice, or not, our ability to sleep only four hours each night and awake fresh, or not, have all been handed down to us through the centuries by our genetic code, our DNA, and the results show that we really are not creatures of our own devices as much as we are carrying out the predetermined actions of millennium's old genetic structure that makes us, our relatives, and our tribes, if you will, similar. Maybe that explains that rare feeling of déjà vu when you meet a total stranger that you could swear you knew and liked before, somewhere, at some time. Maybe that person is carrying a genetic code that subliminally identifies them to you as belonging to that long-lost tribe of people that fought the elements to survive 10,000 years ago in the Caucasus or in sub-Saharan Africa. Today you stand at least a small chance of finding out. Genetics is the study of genes, what they are, what they do, and how they work. Genes are made up of molecules inside the nucleus of a cell that are strung together in such a way that the series carries information. That information determines how living organisms inherit features from their parents, and thereby all their ancestors. For example, children usually look similar to each of their parents because they've inherited some of each of their parents' genes. Genetics identifies which features are inherited and explains how these features pass from generation to generation. In addition to inheritance, genetics studies how genes are turned on and off to control what substances are made in a cell, gene expression, and how a cell divides, which is called mitosis or meiosis. A feature of a living thing determined by genes is called a phenotypic trait, or simply trait. Some traits can be seen, such as eye color. Other traits cannot be seen but can be detected, such as blood type. Traits determined by genes can be modified by the animal's surroundings in their environment. For example, the general design of a tiger's stripes is inherited, but the specific stripe pattern is determined by the tiger's surroundings. Another example is a person's height. It is determined by both genetics and nutrition. Genes are made of DNA, and DNA is divided into separate pieces called chromosomes. Humans have 46, 23 pairs. And this is where the science of DNA starts to get complicated, and quickly, but for our purposes. Best to know that hardly a day goes by that DNA doesn't make the headlines. In the three-week manhunt for escaped fugitives in upstate New York, the pursuers found the escapee's DNA in an abandoned cabin and knew they were on the right track. Genetic testing was used to identify the remains of King Richard III, found accidentally beneath a parking area. The research team responsible is now saying they are 99.999% sure the body is that of Richard, who was just 32 when he died at the Battle of Bosworth in 1485. He had seized the crown two years earlier and is alleged to have murdered his two young nephews in the Tower of London so that he could maintain the throne. According to the DNA testing, rather than the dwarfish and beetle-browed hunchback of legend, the king was likely to have been blonde and blue-eyed, the scientists discovered. The testing also unearthed some question as to the queen's rightful ownership of the throne, but those questions are left for another day. DNA contains the genetic information that allows all modern living things to function, grow, and reproduce. DNA survives in the environment for less than one million years and slowly degrades into short fragments in solution. Claims for older DNA have been made, most notably a report of the isolation of a viable bacterium from a salt crystal 250 million years old. But these claims are controversial. The popular movie Jurassic Park, in which scientists had created a modern strain of dinosaur created from an ancient particle of DNA taken from a prehistoric mosquito, which had been trapped in amber and petrified, was a hopeful twist on restoring long extinct animal species. This is only one of hundreds of possibilities being considered by scientists as the search for the life secrets that dna holds continues forensic scientists can use dna in blood semen skin saliva or hair found at a crime scene to identify a matching dna of an individual such as a perpetrator this process is formally termed dna profiling but may also be called genetic fingerprinting in dna profiling. The lengths of variable sections of repetitive DNA, such as short tandem repeats and mini-satellites, are compared between people. This method is usually an extremely reliable technique for identifying a matching DNA. However, identification can be complicated if the scene is contaminated with DNA from several people. DNA profiling was developed in 1984 by British geneticist Sir Alec Jeffries and first used in forensic science to convict Colin Pitchfork in the 1988 Enderby murders case. Almost immediately, cutting-edge TV production companies like New Dominion Pictures in Virginia with their show The New Detectives paved the way for broadcast network shows like CSI and NCIS to become successful in the crime forensics category. The development of forensic science and the ability to now obtain genetic matching on minute samples of blood, skin, saliva, or hair has led to a re-examination of a number of cases. Evidence can now be uncovered that was not specifically possible at the time of the original examination. Combined with the removal of the double jeopardy law in some places, this can allow cases to be reopened, where previous trials have failed to produce sufficient evidence to convince a jury. People charged with serious crimes may be required to provide a sample of DNA for matching purposes. The most obvious defense to DNA matches, obtained forensically, is to claim that cross-contamination of evidence has taken place. This has resulted in meticulous, strict handling procedures with new cases of serious crime. DNA profiling is also used to identify victims of mass casualty incidents, as well as positively identifying bodies or body parts in serious accidents. DNA profiling is being successfully used to identify individual victims in mass war graves matching to family members. Because DNA collects mutations over time, which are then inherited, it contains historical information, and by comparing DNA sequences, geneticists can infer the evolutionary history of organisms, their phylogeny. This field of phylogenics Is a powerful tool in evolutionary biology. If DNA sequences within a species are compared, population geneticists can learn the history of particular populations. This can be used in studies ranging from ecological genetics to anthropology. For example, DNA evidence is being used to try to identify the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Personally, I'm waiting for more DNA research on the hundreds of dog breeds out there. The best news we have is that dogs have been around for about 130,000 years and that they all came from wolves. I think we can do better than that, folks. There is no way your toy poodle, shih tzu, and Pekingese has a micro-ounce of wolf DNA. In truth, I've never been a big fan of poodles or Pekingese. Smart, yes. Yappy, yes. Unlike the stately Cocker Spaniel, intrepid golden retriever, and a handsome German shepherd, all known for their superior hunting capabilities. DNA testing will reveal that the Poodle, Shih Tzu, and Pekinese have no earthly origin and had to have been left behind by visiting aliens. You are welcome to enter your comments defending these subspecies on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 1001heroes. The most popular DNA science is genetic genealogy, which became a mainstream science around 2001. Genetic genealogy is the use of DNA testing in combination with traditional genealogy and traditional genealogical and historical records to infer relationships between individuals. Genetic genealogy involves the use of genealogical DNA testing to determine the level and type of the genetic relationship between individuals. This application of genetics became popular with family historians in the first decade of the 21st century as tests became affordable. The tests have been promoted by amateur groups, such as surname study groups or regional genealogical groups, as well as research projects such as the Genographic Project. As of 2015, millions of people have been tested. As this field has developed, the aims of practitioners broadened, with many seeking knowledge of their ancestry beyond the recent centuries for which traditional pedigrees can be constructed. Taking a genealogical DNA test requires the submission of a DNA sample. This is usually a painless process. The most common way to collect a DNA sample is by cheek scraping, also known as a buckle swab. Other methods include spit cups, mouthwash, and chewing gum. After collection, the sample is mailed to a testing lab. Some laboratories, such as the Human Origins Genotyping Laboratory at the University of Arizona, offer to store DNA samples for ease of future testing. All United States laboratories will destroy the DNA sample upon request by the customer, guaranteeing that a sample is not available for further analysis. With the help of your known family tree, the chances that you might find some interesting facts about your family history start to increase. Rumor has it in my family that two German-speaking Hagedorn brothers arrived by boat in New York City in 1656 and made their way to a little village called Alplatz, or River of Eels, near Albany, New York, then called the Frontier. The British were busy colonizing, marrying off the Iroquois to arriving Dutchmen. Those British were busy bees colonizing all over the world back in those days, mostly competing with the French for new territory. It is said that the Iroquois men were not allowed to have relations with the women of the tribe until they were past warrior age, which must have made those arriving Dutchmen look pretty good to the Iroquois women. Anyway, somehow the newlyweds got over their obvious language and cultural barriers and started creating large families, which were pretty well white only a couple of centuries and eight generations later. Maybe with a DNA search, I can file for a casino up there. Anyway, origin of peoples in a context of DNA genealogy is an assignment of each of them to a particular type or its branch lineage, initiated in a genealogical sense by a particular ancestor who had a base, ancestral haplotype. This also includes an estimation of a time span between the common ancestor and its current descendants. If information obtained this way can be presented in a historical context and supported even arguably by other independent archeological, linguistic, historical, ethnographic, anthropological, and other related considerations. This can be called a success Just in the last 20 years, scientists began to use Y-chromosome markers and MT-chromosome markers to provide evidence of common ancestry between individuals with a tradition of common ancestry. Two notable studies showed common heritage between men from Cohen, Jewish lineages. One famous study examined the lineage of descendants of Thomas Jefferson's paternal line and male lineage descendants of the freed slave Sally Hemings. Brian Sykes, a molecular biologist at Oxford University, tested the new methodology in general surname research. His study of the Sykes surname obtained results by looking at four STR markers on the male chromosome. It pointed the way to genetics becoming a valuable assistant in the service of genealogy and history. The publication of The Seven Daughters of Eve by Sykes in 2001, which described the seven major haplogroups of European ancestors, helped push personal ancestry testing through DNA tests into wide public notice. With the growing availability and affordability of genealogical DNA testing, genetic genealogy as a field grew rapidly. By 2003, the field of DNA testing of surnames was declared officially to have arrived in an article by Jobling and Tyler Smith in Nature Reviews Genetics. The number of firms offering tests and the number of consumers ordering them rose dramatically. Here's a rundown of the few of the DNA testing businesses that are out there now. Genealogist Roberta Estes, in her blog DNA Explained, has this to say about which testing facilities to use. Titled... Autosomal DNA 2015, which test is the best? This article reflects my opinions about what is good and bad at each vendor today, she writes, in February 2015 and what they do best and worst. Recommendations. 1. In light of the above, my recommendation for autosomal DNA testing for genealogy, if you can take only one test, order the Family Finder test with Family Tree DNA. They are unquestionably committed to genetic genealogy, have the most comprehensive set of tools, including a chromosome browser and other matching tools, and are overall the best company. The Family Finder test costs $99 unless you purchase it when it's on sale or have a coupon. Two, if you can test with two companies, test with Family Tree DNA. And Ancestry.com. You can do this by testing with Ancestry.com and transferring your results to Family Tree DNA. This approach costs about $187 total. To test at Ancestry, $99, for the first year basic subscription at Ancestry to see all your matching results, $49. If you aren't already a subscriber, then to transfer the results to Family Tree DNA, free, and unlock the results, $39 unless you find four more people to transfer, and then the unlock is free. Note that you still need to swab to obtain the genealogy benefits of Y and MTDNA testing. If you choose to take those tests in addition, and I hope you will, because those are very valuable genealogy tools too, and not available at the other vendors. And she writes about the future. It will be interesting to see what the landscape looks like a year Two and five years from now, I think the X prize pardon the pun, will go to the company or companies that provide comprehensive tools and make genetic genealogy as easy and productive as possible for both the beginner and the advanced user. No small feat, that's for sure. And now that you've had an introduction to DNA and genealogical testing, let's join our story of PJ and how DNA testing helped him solve an 80-year-old mystery. This from ABC affiliate WFAA in Texas written by their staff in 2013. They sat at DFW Airport, the sight of comings and goings, happy hellos and sad goodbyes. With nerves, they waited. The way I felt about it, this day was never going to happen, said Patrick P.J. Holland. He was in the final 60 minutes of an 80-year wait. This is what we call a countdown, he said with a laugh after asking yet again when his guests would be arriving. She let me know if they missed the plane. They did not miss the plane, said Marilyn Souders, who was with Holland on a long and winding journey. Finally, the guests were there. Holland smiled broadly, then hugged them tightly. He was 80 years, 6 months, and 22 days old, and he was meeting family for the first time ever, a cousin and that cousin's daughter. For all his life, he never knew what a cousin was. Sometimes I'll go way back and wonder, How'd this happen to me, Holland asked. An unwed mother gave birth to P.J. Holland outside Cincinnati during the Great Depression. Orphanages were full, so he lived at the hospital where he was born for the first couple years of his life. Nurses took care of him. Eventually, an orphanage had room. P.J. was moved. He remembers that life with pain. All the orphans had people visit them on People Day, except me, because there was no relatives, he recalled. As a teenager, Holland ran away from the orphanage and hid in a convent, but he knew he couldn't stay there. At 16, he faked his age and joined the Army. He was a paratrooper, but when he had to leave from the service, he had nowhere to go. He was a soldier with no family back home. After the Army, Holland returned to Cincinnati, and a local family offered him a room in their home. In time, he just became one of them. Oh yeah, that was family. From that moment on, that was family, he explained. Marilyn Souders was a part of that family. Her grandmother took Holland in all those years ago. Souders doesn't remember life without him. She's always called him uncle, and she's always searched for her Uncle PJ's past. I tried for years and years. I tried so hard, she said. For all these years, he's had that nagging, where did I come from? I always thought if we just loved him enough, we could make up for that hurt, she added. Souders' home office in Plano, Texas, looks like a mad scientist's genealogy lab. Old photographs and yellowing documents spill out from file folders and cabinets and shelves. She estimates she spent thousands and thousands of hours tracing Holland's roots. She even recruited her children. Family vacations were often at the library. I'd give them quarters and instructions on how to use the microfiche, she said. Souders was able to nail down a name of Holland's mother, agnes holland but she could never find more it's been a long journey but i never gave up i knew we could do it Souter said a 31 year old aspiring actress in new york city would unknowingly unravel the mystery katherine muden took a dna test my friend we just did it on a whim it was all in the news that angelina jolie had done it for the breast cancer gene she explained Mutant used the same company Souders had used to do a DNA test on Uncle PJ. I logged in one morning, and this big pop-up comes on and said, You have a first cousin match. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe this, Souders exclaimed. Within hours, she and Mutant were on the phone. But I didn't understand the magnitude of it. I was like, Oh, cool. Neat to meet you. It's such a distant generation that I didn't think much of it, Mutant said. And she was like, You don't understand. We've been searching for Agnes since 1970. Mewden's father knew his Aunt Agnes had left the family, but he didn't know why. When you asked my mom about Agnes, it was, Not a whole lot was said, John Mewden recalled. Agnes sent cards and letters from time to time. Maybe she'd write in 1943 and you wouldn't hear from her again until 1955. It was pretty sporadic. Now they know, Agnes disappeared to give birth to an illegitimate baby. That baby was PJ. When I got off the plane and I looked down the hall, he looked similar to my mother, John Muden said. John and Catherine flew to meet PJ in Dallas, where he lives in an assisted living facility so he can be near Maryland. His health is beginning to fail. I spent a long, long time wondering, where are they? Who they are and why, Holland said, I am who I am, and now I know who I am. Souders is in awe that a DNA test taken on a whim solved the mystery she's been working on for decades. I'm just so happy for him, she said. Everybody deserves to know where they came from. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. You can enjoy all our episodes at www.1001storiespodcast.com. Dot com, and we invite you to share our show wherever you find it. We especially like Facebook shares at facebook.com slash 1001heroes. Until next time, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.